Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we have a very interesting guest on today from a company called 180 Skills, Joe Kitterman, who's the founder and CEO. Uh, I've forgotten exactly, Lou, how we got connected with Joe. I think it must have been through maybe Jennifer McNelly, but it has been, uh, and I look forward to this interview. I've always been curious about the name 180 Skills. Uh, yeah, Jennifer McNeely's uh, actually been a host on our WAM uh, Women and Manufacturing uh, show, and uh, one thing led to another, and that's how we got to uh, Joe. Uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, so Tim has already kicked off about what's 180 skills all about. Or have you determined that manufacturing requires 180 skills? So why don't you tell us instead of me guessing? Uh, the, the name really came from the concept that uh, a lot of people need to turn around and move forward, just do a 180 in their career, and that skills training can help them do that. So it's pretty oh. cool. It's all about doing a 180. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. So... Uh, tell us, you know, how you started and why you started 180 Skills and what uh, your sure. background was. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm, I'm a reforming automotive and aerospace plant manager. I worked in manufacturing <laughs> for 22-plus years, 17 at General Motors here in Indianapolis, and another five or six out in the Tier 1, what I call the real world. So... Um, through those experiences, I continually failed to be able to deliver to my employees skills training when they needed it and wanted it to move up inside the companies that I ran. Um, and if you don't provide that to your employees, what happens is they'll quit and go somewhere else for a nickel-dime quarter. So I um, saw web-based education as a tool that uh, if I had had that when the employees came to me and said, hey, boss, I'm ready to learn, which which really means they want to increase their standard of living, sometimes by as much as 30%, uh, you know, I could have answered that question more effectively rather than, oh, not today, or there's no time, or wait six months for the next class to start. And like I say, if you don't get it to them within a reasonable amount of time, they'll they'll go somewhere else where they perceive they'll get it, or someone else will just simply pay them a little bit more. So it's a it's a passion and a mission for technical workers and helping them, you know, have great careers. So is 180 Skills an online training program? Yeah, we are an online technical education company focused, you know, almost solely on the manufacturing sector. So we have we have over 700 online courses uh, across topics of aerospace manufacturing, machining, mechatronics, industrial automation, metrology, quality, and uh, a variety of other topics. And how long have you been uh, doing this? Uh, we're in our tenth year, so almost a really? um, little over. Yeah, we just started our tenth year a couple of weeks ago, so we're pretty proud of that. 
uh, so you've gone you've gone out of you've gone past your uh, speed bumps and rabbit holes to get your company up and running and going, and you must have a fairly uh, decent number of people who have been taking your courses to help spread the the gospel, so to speak, uh, to promote uh, your services. Is that the case? Yeah, we've served over 18,000 students across the manufacturing sector, the education sector, and the workforce, um, federal workforce system. So we're uh, a lot of students. Yeah, and uh, for the sake of our uh, audience, uh, who are a lot of them are the uh, 25 to 34-year-old, uh, who's looking for perhaps career change or learning new skills? Uh, is this a an expensive program? I'm not asking for numbers, but would it be considered expensive? Is there companies that help support uh, someone from taking these classes uh, of yours? Sure. Um, you know, one of our primary missions today, Lou, is to deliver the highest quality content and to do that mm-hmm. at a low cost. So we're we're very disruptive in terms of cost, and we don't think that should be a barrier to skills training. But um, students seeking education can attend one of our programs with our community and technical college partners. I think we have 14 of those across the country. We have... Um, you know, hundreds of employers who offer this training, and also in the state of Indiana, it's available through the, the state workforce system for free. So, so you're a full-service uh, educational system that, uh, how many students did you say, 18,000? Yeah, we've graduated 18,000 students, and we've enjoyed 90-plus percent graduation and placement rates. So pretty extraordinary, we think. Really? That's terrific. Do you help with the uh, placements? We've built what we call an employer partner network, which Mm -hmm. is really just informing employers the skills that we're training and asking employers um, if they'll receive a graduate and do three things, you know, congratulate the graduate for the work that they did, pat them on the back, and if they're hiring, offer them an interview. And for that, we do not charge. We're not a placement company. So we have Mm -hmm. probably 100 employer partners in the state of Indiana who welcome our graduates. Joe, do you train employees of employers anywhere in the country with these 700-some-odd programs? We do. We help employers with pre-hire training, incumbent worker training, uh, and upskilling so people you know, trying to move to the next level in the job or maybe make a branch to management or leadership. And how did you uh, refine or define your courses? Was it working with the manufacturers to determine what they need and then come back and create the course? Yeah, so we we won't build a course without a manufacturing sponsor. So we get all of our expertise from... OEMs and large tier ones, we think that's critical because they own and define the jobs. So companies like the Boeing company, Harley-Davidson and others have helped us author content. And, you know, we look to industry to tell us what the next course 
we need to create is, and again, based on demand and real jobs at the end of the training. Joe, what's the need? I mean, I, I don't mean that to be so terribly broad-based, but what do you hear most often from manufacturers that they're not seeing in their applicants or their employees that they need training on? Well, I think, you know, no secret today, you've got 240,000 manufacturing companies who lack skilled workers. And and I think that question, Tim, really starts at the front door. You know, there's no skilled applicants coming to the door because they're all working. And so when you're, you know, I'll go back to my life as a plant manager, what we hear from employers today, I mean, to get someone through the front door and proficient, there's basic safety things that they need, quality system knowledge, basic measurement tools, and, you know, perhaps basic equipment operation skills uh, to get that person in the door and working at what I would describe as an entry-level technician. Um, so, you know, that's step one is fill your pipeline that's lacking today. And I think that's, um, you know, where our program is really unique. We are competency-based, and so each employer can take a subset of the 700 that aligns with their unique pre-hire or post-hire employment needs and create what we call a learning path, which is just a group of courses that aligns with those requirements and deliver those either to people who come and apply for a job that may not have skills or um, onboard someone, and that's step one, complete this learning path. But you know, we're really helping employers now to create their own skilled workers, you know, in light of the fact that there's just not many showing up at the door. We hear, we hear from many uh, manufacturers, uh, you know, Tim and I have been doing manufacturing talk radio now for five years, and I've been in manufacturing for 45, almost 50 years. So uh, we're pretty well engrossed in what manufacturing was, is, and is becoming. And one of the big hardships, aside from the fact that uh, the skill gap issue is uh, is major, uh, one of the things that we run across is uh, drug-related where, a matter of fact, I think it was a company in Indiana that we spoke with. She, she's got woman-owned company. She needed to hire 10 people, and she had, I think, three or four that were able to pass the drug test. Uh, are you running into this issue, problem, uh, from either the manufacturers or from the students themselves? You know, we don't engage with the students at that level, but we sure hear those issues a lot. And mm -hmm. um, no secret that, you know, there's a major drug epidemic, but I'm not sure that's something we're able to help with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what I would say, and I think it's important to note, and it's kind of a well-kept secret, you've got 76 million people in the workplace today who are working, who passed a drug screen, who have jobs, but are making less than 22000 which is poverty level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our innovative employer partners are using what, what we call, 
you know, creating new points of access on demand for those individuals who are already working but have very complicated, difficult lives and no time really to attend traditional ground-based, semester time-based programs. And so drawing on a massive pool of people, and, and, you know, I'd add that half of those 76 million have a high school diploma, a fourth of them went to college and didn't finish. So these are, you know, prime candidates who just simply lack skills to walk in the door, um, you know, of these companies that have these great, you know, high-paying jobs. So, and, um, you know, we've done a lot of work in the adult ed market. There's a million people in Indiana who lack a high school diploma, and, you know, our belief and research shows that they don't all do drugs, and they would love to change their current state if they could just get access to basic skills training. Um, so I think there's other ways around the drug issue. I'm, I'm sitting here somewhat stunned, Joe, by your comment, and I don't doubt it, uh, that there are 70-some-odd million people working in America today below the poverty level. Uh, that's a staggering statistic. It, it is, Tim, and um, we do a lot of work with social impact funds, and um, that research came to us via um, a group called the Employment Technology Fund, who is funded by the Walmart, Rockefeller, Joyce, and Kellogg Foundations. And what they've discovered, particularly when it comes to online learning, and this is relevant to manufacturers, is that you know the education technology space in general has not paid much attention to technical-based jobs, uh, jobs that um, might be good entry level for low-skill, low-income people. Um, you know, I'll say the blue-collar worker of the world. You know, all the ed tech money has gone to the coders and the software people, and I call them the cool kids. And um, through their research, you know, they it's, it, there's actually 103 million if you count families of four that are under 44,000, which is also poverty. So there is a massive pool of people who are working, many working two jobs, whose lives are really complicated and difficult, um, who, again, would love to work for the 240,000 companies that, that can't find skilled workers. So we're on a real mission to bridge that gap between those people and these employers through what we call non-traditional access to skills training, you know, making it available when their lives allow it and enable them to sit down and study, which for this population is 10 o'clock on Friday night or a holiday weekend. But back to the 18,000 we've moved the needle for, you know, they do want to change and will take the time if you allow them to do it when it fits into their, you know, hectic, somewhat stressful lives. Joe, we're going to, I'm going to give you a question and we're going to cut to a quick break and, uh, and we'll hear your answer on the other side. Uh, the question that I have for you is, and this is sort of a, it's kind of falling into a political uh, aspect of the skills issue, and that is that the reshoring of uh, work and contracts and manufacturing from other locations and bringing the jobs back 
to the U.S. Meanwhile, there's about, uh, I think it's 700,000 total of manufacturing jobs that are not filled uh, for various reasons that we just discussed. So my question to you is, uh, bringing jobs back, and we don't have the full skill sets available today to a lot of people, and you bring the jobs back and now you need more people uh, to do the jobs that we have less skills for. So I'm gonna ask you for the solution to that problem right back from our commercial. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. So, Joe, did you have enough time to come up with a response? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, Lou. Um, you know, you're talking about 700,000 open jobs today. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, you know, we've done research on and, and done the math is that the current skills training system, in especially in America, does, simply does not have the capacity to be the sole pipeline to solve the problem for the employers. And I'm really talking about the community and technical college systems um, with the exodus of the baby boomers, which on average now is probably 35-40% of the workforce, uh, the, the community and technical college system was never built for that kind of throughput. And I'll just, you know, I, you gave me time to do the math. There's 1,100 colleges, community colleges. Each one would have to graduate 636 manufacturing-ready students you know, every year, and that's just not not going to happen. Um, and then when you pair in current completion rates in the community and technical college market, you know, of less than 30%. So employers are going to have to own this ability to create new skilled workers. And, you know, using online tools, and, and one of the things we're, trying to point out to manufacturers is, you know, do you know who your competition for workforce is? And if you look at, I'll go back to the cool companies, the Amazons, the software companies, the Silicon Valley, California, you know, those companies, on-demand, skills-based training for their workforce has been in place for a long time. It's how they do business. It's no big deal. Their, their employees expect it when they want to know something today. It's there. So I I think it's time for manufacturers to look at who's competing with them and offer the same tools which enable, you know, especially this millennial generation to be able to acquire skills on demand when they need it, when they want it, 
um, or when the employer needs them to have it, and 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 you know that would exponentially expand the capacity of the skills training system in America today. Um, and really, there's no limit when you're using digital learning. So I, I think you know it's exciting to see the jobs come back. Absolutely, and they are skill-based jobs. So, um, but I do think the employers are going to have to return to the days when they're able to, you know, give students those skills and be able to do that at a low cost, on demand, three shifts, 24/7, uh, the world in which they work. So. That's a great question. Thank you for uh, throwing it out there. Well, it's, um, it's, it's a question that we've been hearing time and time again from uh, uh, the tech schools, from the manufacturers, from students themselves uh, about how are we going to resolve this because that 700,000 number, if it doesn't get fixed or cured or uh, dealt with appropriately, the three, the seven hundred thousand by twenty twenty-five, I think it is, is going to be two and a half million. So now we're bringing, and that's not counting the new jo- the jobs that we're bringing back. So that could wind up being three, three and a half, four million. So oh yeah, the, and it's huge. Yeah, and you've got to factor in attrition, and we work closely with the. Workforce Department in Indiana and the current numbers, the demand for attrition in the state of Indiana is 30,000 open manufacturing jobs a year for the next 10 years. That's 300,000. Wow. Um, Kentucky last week told us it's 135,000 in the next two years. Um, we have a partner in Bowling Green. They have 6,000 open jobs today. We're working in Newark. There's 9,000 open manufacturing jobs in Essex. Essex and the surrounding counties today. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this this problem is, um, you know, I think a matter of almost national security. You know, things have to get made. Infrastructure needs to work. And again, the solution is in, you know, the capacity issue. And that's where we believe, you know, the digital learning is just the only way this is going to get solved because. You know, capacity is no issue. Um, so, like I say, we're encouraging employers to uh, enable themselves to offer this and really put this problem to bed. So, it's beginning to sound a little bit like the same issue or similar issue that Japan has had, where they lost a generation of men uh, during the Second World War. And that's why they became the number one robotic manufacturing company in the world. Uh, They had to do it by absolute necessity, not because it's cute. So, uh, and I know, uh, I think U.S. is now seventh in robotic manufacturing. It may be the answer or part of an answer is that we need lots of answers. We need lots of alternatives. Uh, maybe even better training program in prisons where there's 2 million people who are incarcerated just for for drug situations. So maybe if we did something smart about prison reform, that could help us as well. Uh, Have you run into any of that from the prison systems who are looking to get training from uh, your organization? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a big question because um, you have so many people exiting the correction system every year, and um, but then you face the issue of you know the box on the application. So the employers are also going to have to what they call ban the box and allow these people opportunities. But um, delivering digital education into the correctional system is is a great solution. We had heard back a year or two ago that they were still training uh, prisoners on how to use sewing machines for the textile industry, which, of course, we don't have in this country anymore for the most part. And uh, that means the only job that a prisoner can get is to go over to Thailand and uh, use a sewing machine over there because it's not being done here. So I, I think that the prison reform and rehabilitation of those prisoners into the digital world as it exists outside their four walls is a also a national security issue. Yeah, I would agree. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges in the prisons is access to digital content, but uh, we're currently working with two systems on how to get around that and allow secure Internet access because the need is, is so great. So stay tuned. Wow, that's, that's great that you're doing that, Joe, because we certainly see that as a plus area. Veterans are a plus area. Women are a plus area. I'm curious, uh, Joe, in your notes, you put, you know, what high school programs work for manufacturers. We have a school here in the Atlanta area that just became a STEM school, STEM high school, uh, which was a big accomplishment for them. And the number of graduates that went across at graduation wearing cords for high achievement in academics in STEM was remarkable. Uh, what high school programs do work for manufacturers? Um. Well, we're currently working in five different high schools, and we've intentionally targeted uh, disadvantaged, low-income high schools. Um, The programs themselves, um, you know, again, high school kids love digital content. They love self-paced, and I, I, you know, what I mean by that is giving the learner the time they need to achieve mastery. So... Um, you know, another reason I started this company was when I put my employees in time-based training, they either got it or they didn't. And in manufacturing, that's not okay. You you need to have mastery. 80% is not okay when you're going to go out and run a million-dollar piece of equipment. So uh, the high school programs that we deliver are actually the same content our community college partners use in what we, you know, called boot camp style learning where there's you know two or three months of online learning for a community college student Uh, we started two and a half years ago in the city of newark we were called by the commissioner of of public schools in newark and taken to what i think might be one of the most disadvantaged high schools in north america and we launched Uh, A unique program that kind of starts with content that I would say is really more for the high school student about what is manufacturing, why is it a great career, who works in manufacturing, what kind of jobs are these, what do these people do. So we're not really teaching them about robots and cool machines. It's more about 
do they understand how an idea goes from a napkin sketch to a store shelf and all the amazing people who make that happen. And we started as a pilot in the fall of 2016, and this high school had an average attendance of 50%, 600 full-time students. And uh, in the second year, we began offering what I'll call, um, we call career programs. So again, these are the college programs of about 100 skills courses. And I was really leery that the students would be able to do this, especially the students we were dealing with. And um, God love them, um, they did. And attendance in our program went above 90% last year. The enrollments grew to about 35 students. And this fall, I'm excited to tell you, we have 90 students who started last week. Um, and when talking with the instructor, the, you know, the greatest quote that he has given me is it's given these students a reason to get up and take three buses to get to school. They're excited about it. Uh, mm. We created an industry advisory board at the high school, so we brought some local manufacturers to the table. We meet two or three times a year. The students get to take tours of their plants, and during the school year they're learning, you know, basic math, um, we impart on them a lot of the soft skills, team building, communication skills, along with the hard skills of blueprint reading, quality systems, metrology, machining, uh, even aerospace manufacturing. And, and again, I at the beginning, I was really concerned because of the level of the students we were starting with. But, you know, it's never too late would be my message to your audience. Um, some of these kids are finally learning basic math, finally learning what a fraction is, but it's not too late. So high school programs, uh, you know, don't need to be that complicated, but I think they need to really offer to the student, you know, uh, a real vision of what the job looks like, what they're going to do, what their contribution is going to be, and then the skills to get there. So. Um, then we're in other programs in Indianapolis, Gary, Indiana, and some other, you know, marginalized cities. So if we can do it there, um, you know, the the rest are easy. <laughs> yeah, right. We like no to start about with the hard stuff. Uh, we go for to, you. Uh, every year we uh, go to Manufacturing Day, which is usually the first Friday in October, I'm sure you're aware of uh, Manufacturing Day. And uh, we go to uh, NJIT, uh, we set up a booth and uh, they usually have a lot of uh, speeches and the Attorney General or sometimes the Governor and they, you know, yak, 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 they talk about all these issues. But the fun part for us is that there are usually a lot of students there who are uh, seniors in high school who have gone through uh, some technical training uh, in, in their classes. And we interview them to, to get their idea about what they've gone through, what are they planning to do uh, after they graduate and so on. And frankly, some of these kids are so bright and so far ahead um, that it's difficult to ask them a question that you would wind up understanding their answer. So they really learned a lot, and they really are excited and with passion about what they've done and where they're going. Uh, 
so it's really uh, wonderful to see. That's awesome. Um, yeah. NJIT is actually a partner with our work in Newark. So. Yeah, we, we know a lot of the people down there, and uh, uh, we've gotten involved ourselves with them. So they're, they're good people, and they do a good job. Well, good. Next time we're out, we'll take you guys over to West Side. That's that sounds great. Let us know. We'd be happy to be there. We'll do a roving man in the street uh, interview. Oh, the kids would we, love that. Oh, it's they they. I, I, I can't help myself, Tim. I got to tell the story about my <laughs> yeah, about go my for god it. my godson. I told my god, and he by the way, he wants to go to manufacturing uh, day again this year. Anyway, he, I took my godson and a friend of his who were 16-year-olds uh, two years ago, and they have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, you know, they uh, the, all they know is sports and sports and sports, and, you know, they don't know what to do. So I said, why don't you join us on Manufacturing Day, and you can see what's going on, and you can interact with some of these older kids who've gone through these programs, and you learn something about manufacturing and the uh, the the skills and the technology that's out there that you could benefit from. So they did, and they had a great day. And the following year, uh, I met up with uh, my godson, Dylan. I said, so how's it going? You know, last year you were at Manufacturing Day, and I presume you're going to be with us again. He says, yeah, he said, it's great. He says, "Uh, I took up communication courses, and now I'm a radio host for his high school sports program and this past summer he went to a radio uh camp and so here i was looking for him to get involved in manufacturing and he got the bug about broadcasting and hosting radio shows so it's kind of a a reverse on what i expected but at least he has picked a passion that and I think that's what kids need. They need to be able to find their passion. And having parents say, You gotta go to college, you know, and if they're not happy with that, they shouldn't go to college. They should find another route, another career path. So uh Dylan is now on his way to becoming a radio broadcaster. Well, you know, that's a that's a great um topic because Kids at 18 um, constantly get bombarded by the adults with the question, what are you going to be, what are you going to study? And at 18, how could they possibly know? They've never been in a workplace. They don't know what jobs look like. And I was one of those kids, Lou, so I went to Indiana University in the late 70s because I was the youngest of four, and my parents said, you're going to college, and I had the grades. And... I landed in Bloomington, Indiana at IU in the 70s. I had a great time. I flunked out twice. <laughs> and grace <laughs> of God, at 19, yeah, that means, that means a lot of things. But <laughs> um, at 19, I got a job at Allison's, which was a division of General Motors here in Indianapolis. So um, at 19, I had the best job in town. I had a new car. I had 200 record albums. Um, but when I was 25 or 26 and what I call wake, I woke up, you know, I had been in the workplace long enough to see engineers and managers and human resource people and 50 other occupations. And I could, with, with knowledge, 
you know, make a decision on what I wanted to do with my life. But I had a basis, and you know, I knew what a manager looked like. I wanted to go into management. Had to get a college degree to do that at General Motors. Went back to school at 25, got a 4.0, four straight semesters, working seven days a week. It was easy because I knew what I wanted to do. But today, you know, I didn't hurt anybody when I did that. A credit hour was cheap. Nobody was in debt. And now, you know, with a 50% chance of completing, we send these kids off to college and expect them to make a career choice based on nothing. And, um, you know, it's just a travesty. And I'll parallel that with we have programs, for example, in Seattle with our partner, Edmonds Community College, 12 weeks, less than $5,000, aerospace manufacturing 18-year-olds come in, spend less than five grand, and complete the program and walk across the street and go to work at Boeing, you know, and the rest takes care of itself. So we are constantly encouraging 18-year-olds, if you don't know what you want to be, do not go to college. Let us help you get an entry-level job, making good money, and then when you're 24, 25, and you wake up, um, you know, there's all kinds of opportunities to to return to the education market and, you know, move to where you want to be based upon some good knowledge. So sorry to be so long-winded, but it's a topic we're pretty passionate about these days. Uh, I I absolutely agree with you. My college days were quite similar. Um, I went for seven years. I have a major in history, a major in English, a minor out of the School of Agriculture, and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't steer a kid to college who doesn't know what they want to do. And you're right. When you go to college and you know what you want to do, you can breeze through it. And when you don't know what you want to do, it's a misery. So I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Only, you know, only about 5% of the kids really know, and I agree. Send them to college, and they do well. My daughter was born to be a teacher, went to college for a teacher, made a 4.0, and she's teaching. But from right. her and her friends, I, fig- I found out she's one of 50 kids who really knew. And the others that even make it through get out and still go, okay, what now? You know, what, right. what am I going to do now that I made it? And they still don't have a clue, so... I mean, there are so many great jobs that, again, less than three months of investment and time, and and you could be working at the Boeing company, Harley-Davidson. You know, there's a long list, and, um, you know, I don't know why we continue to to shove the kids off that way. But Well, part of that reason, I I believe, is that uh, manufacturing has had a a dirty, dark uh, reputation. And, uh, uh, and in terms of, you know, quote, the blue collar uh, stigma as well. But I think I think a lot of it's changing. You know, I'm, you know, making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year as an underwater welder and wearing a blue collar. I give that guy a lot of respect. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, what more would you need? Um, that's true. That's a that's great true. lifestyle, and you're right. There's hundred thousand dollar a year jobs all over the place in technical fields. So, well, Joe, we certainly appreciate you joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. I, I would like you to kind of 
give us a synopsis or a wrap-up, you know, the manufacturing workforce development for the 21st century. Where are we now? Where do we need to be? I think where we are now is still kind of in the dark ages, and we talk about this a lot. We are an ed tech company, so we, we run in those circles, and I'm still a bit stunned that manufacturers think the skills they need can't be taught in a digital medium, can't be taught online, can only be taught hands-on, and it's just simply not true. And, you know, when I look at the adoption curve for digital learning, like I say, all the software companies, hotels, hospitality, restaurants, they're they're way over on the right side. They bought in a long time ago. Um, and manufacturers are still resisting. They still think that you can't teach someone how to use a micrometer. Um, you know, I would challenge them to give us a call and, and we'll prove them wrong that you can. And back to, you know, where we are in the 21st century, this is how this generation wants to learn. I think you can see the, the breakdown in public education. Everyone's questioning four-year degrees now. And and I think this generation, it's going to be about what skills do I need today and can I get them today? And then in six months, I'm going to change my mind or have a new desire to have <laughs> that skills training be there when I want it. And, you know, they're going to find it. And these other industries have already... You know, like I say, they're they're long over the the question mark around the effectiveness of online learning, and um, I think manufacturers have got to catch up and realize it's a powerful tool, and it can solve a lot of their problems and reduce their dependency on the rest of the world to to bring to their door a skilled worker from a system that you know simply can't provide enough and. Uh, so I, I think, you know, like I said earlier, I think manufacturers need to look hard at who they're competing with for this workforce and how are those companies, what are they offering to the students, what are they offering to their employees, what kind of tools to help them grow because this millennial generation, you know, it's all about what's in it for me and how am I going to impact the world and how are you mm-hmm. going to take care of me and, and you know, I, I'm all on board with that, but they're kind of, you know they're an on demand generation and they will gravitate to where employers who satisfy that need i want to learn today at two o'clock i want five minutes of knowledge i um you know we recently had someone call it toilet training <laughs> you know, I, I want to learn <laughs> while i'm in the bathroom and i think it's awesome but it's really made us look at why we do this and you know i i don't think it's different for us, but life is a continual journey of of um, skills, and when you need to get the next one, you know, it just needs to be there. You shouldn't have to wait till January when the next cohort of students starts. It's silly, you know, the displaced worker, the incumbent worker, we just, we, we make people wait, and there's just no reason. So I think, again, manufacturers have got to wake up to where most of the world is today, which is learning on demand is the way to do it. It's the right way to do it. It's less expensive. It's more effective. And and so that's our current evangelism is just trying to share that gospel with the manufacturers. So how we're going to help get the message out to the uh, audience, we're going to 
have you give us your website and an email address for some of our audience uh, to reach out to you and get on the track of learning the right way to move forward in a career. So why don't you give us your website and your email address, and that'll be great. Oh, thank you, and thanks for the time today. Our website is 180skills.com, 180skills.com. And you can reach me personally at joek at 180skills.com, and I would welcome any inquiries. And, again, this is a mission and a passion for us, and I appreciate you guys taking time to share it. Well, we love, we have our mission, and our mission is your mission. So thank you for being on the show, and uh, we'll be talking to you again uh, in the future as things progress in your world. We'd love to have you come back and say, hey, guess what? The 18,000 is now 25,000, and uh, we're addressing drugs, we're addressing prisoners, we're, we're doing a whole lot of new stuff, so keep that in mind. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'll look forward to it, and I'll see you at uh, Westside High School. Uh, that would be a good idea. Let me know. I'll be happy to come down. Uh, okay. Tim? Thanks, you guys. Sure. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Joe. And we have been speaking with Joe Kitterman, who is the founder and CEO of 180 Skills, really an idea for workers who want additional training and an upward career path to do a 180 from whatever direction they might be heading in and get some really great information and knowledge and skills training from a group called 180 Skills who are out in Indianapolis, but they are at 180skills.com if you want to check out their website, or Joe K, the letter K, Joe K at 180skills.com. We want to thank everyone for listening. We've got two shows going right now in case you want to tune into both of those ones, Women in Manufacturing, which can be found at womenandmfg.com. Again, tremendous information over there, and we have our own show here, Manufacturing Talk Radio at mfgtalkradio.com. And, Lou, I have to tell you, this interview was, to me, you know, this gets into our top ten. This was terrific information. I'm very excited about what this company is doing. Absolutely, and uh, I, I wish we could get it out to even a, a bigger audience and maybe some of the audience should be the manufacturing companies and not so much the kids. Uh, the manufacturers are the ones, uh, according to Joe, and we know that from our experience, that they're yep. a little slow. They're a little slow on the uptake. You know, we uh, well, we make uh, we make nails. You know, and you've got to know how to make a nail. And you know, I don't have time to go take a 18 year old kid and get him to buy uh, make a nail. So. It's, it's a combination of teaching the parents that college isn't the only route. It's the students to give them an option and career path. And it's the manufacturing companies to learn that no one's going to help you. Washington's not going to help you. You're going <laughs> to have to create your own methodology. And I think this 180 skills is truly a, uh, a phenomenal uh, Ma uh, manner and method to approach from three different angles. So I, my hat's off to Joe. I would agree. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening today to our interview with uh, Joe Kitterman, founder and CEO of 180 Skills. Keep in tune with 
MFGTalkRadio.com for more exciting shows that are coming up in the very near future. And thank you for listening today. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at MFGTalkRadio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.